Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows and recap other shows to answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week we're checking out the new CBS legal drama, The Code. So stay tuned to the end to find out how we like this JAG reboot. Is it a reboot? Essentially. I think it's like a reboot of JAG. So what's the premise of The Code? The Code, like JAG, is a procedural show where we have the star, Captain John Abraham, who is an attorney and a prosecutor, and the rest of his colleagues are defense attorneys and prosecutors. And I think because they're all in the military, in the same branch, they are all close. And it's more of a situational family comedy dynamic between all of them versus more oppositional or confrontational. We might see that come up later as conflicts come up with cases, but in this case, they're all in it together. And this is just basically a procedural. So in this pilot episode, we see a military officer die at the hands of someone in his own unit. And initially, his widow enlists Abe, who was his best friend, to prosecute the murderer and put him away. And as we discover through this episode, the problem is much bigger than the singular murder of that person. How did you feel about this pilot episode? So, Overall, I actually liked it. I think this was a good take on the legal drama. I'm not as familiar with military legal drama, so this was something fresh to me at least. There were some moments, and we discussed this while we were watching, where it felt a little uncomfortable because in the courtroom, both the plaintiff and the defendant are the military, so it's like internal conflict. So it felt weird, at least in this pilot episode, that someone in the military was defending someone in the military murder someone in the military. But these things do have to be sorted out because conflicts are taking place. And stepping back from that, I do like how they mixed up the plot and it went beyond this initial murder case and it went to a broader conspiracy. So they're not going with just a simple A plot, throw in like a minor B plot. It's an A plot that can evolve into something bigger. And like you said, they were all working together. So you have Abe, Maya, and Trey are our core team of prosecutor, lawyers, and investigators, and Marines saying, wear all hats. And I really did like seeing them first be at odds with each other, but then really form a pretty good team that eventually won the case by the end of the episode. That's why it felt like a situational comedy vibe between them for me, because everything was a competition. So even though they were in opposition to each other, they joked about things like the first one to get the judge to mention his purple heart wins $15 from the other person. Things like that, that I don't think is typical, or at least I don't imagine is typical of the relationship between a prosecuting attorney and the defense attorney. From my understanding, I think they all came from the same office. So they had the co-worker vibe going on. Totally. And something else that sets this show apart, which you picked up on, is that it talks about the larger issue. So it's not just a cut and dry procedural whodunit. And one of the reasons for that might be that the co-creator of the show was an executive producer and writer on The Good Wife, which was a fantastic show that brought in both modern politics and politics of the past in a really beautiful way. Mm -hmm. So I could see this show being almost an elevated form of JAG or other courtroom procedurals. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential. But one thing that I'm thinking about, and you were asking questions about this, I was as well when we were watching, is about accuracy. Mm -hmm. So we've discussed this before 
when we used to watch How to Get Away with Murder. Can they do that? Should they be doing that? How many rules did they break? But then this show adds another element of how accurate is their representation of the military as well. And they were quoting military laws and neither of us knew if that was even legitimate or they just made that up for the show. Yeah, unfortunately, listeners, there's only so much prep we're willing to do for this podcast. (laughs) We are not going to law school focusing on U.S. military law. Yes, we are not Kim Kardashian doing a late in life pivot to law school, at least not right now. Not yet. One thing you can comment on, which I'm curious about your take, we didn't get a chance to talk about this as much while we are watching, is all of their talk about brains. Mm -hmm. Something I love is that you are a scientist. It's something that I tout at dinner parties. It makes me seem smarter. So please, as our resident scientist, advise on this. Yes, about brains. So one of the reasons Me Too is mentioning this is that in this particular case in the pilot, the young man in the military who committed the murder had brain damage or brain trauma from, I think, multiple explosions and impacts. Yes. And so they were talking about MRIs to see differences in brain mass. They were talking about different tests you can do to see people's cognitive abilities and functions. The overall idea of what they were saying was true. The MRI is a possible way to check that. It was a little weird because they only showed one slice and MRIs are actually 3D images of your brain. So there would be more to look at. Mm. And in theory, there could be multiple causes for those types of losses of brain mass. Clearly, if you know someone's had these traumatic impacts during war, it would make sense to believe that's the cause. But there's also other things you need to check into. And you said that the tests are largely bad. Yes. So our understanding of the brain in general is still a growing field. Sorry, to be fair, they mention on the show. Yes. So they do mention, and that's actually one of Abe's arguments, is that even people who are completely healthy with no brain damage can fail these tests, which would then signify that something's wrong. So you can have a lot of false positives for cognitive impairment. Mm -hmm. And that's very true. All of these tests are just a baseline. And I think a lot of them are set up so you do get more false positives than false negatives, because then you can ensure within this larger population that we test further, the people who actually need our help are in that group. But it is pretty inaccurate, especially when you're just asking questions, because you do the same thing for people with dementia. There's a standard set of questions, but people without dementia could fail that test as well, because we don't really understand everything about brain damage. And I'm not going to go too far into it. This is like a whole topic. I'm so interested. I accidentally am completely (laughs) silent, which is not good for a podcast. (laughs) I'm just staring at you. The final note is you can have brain damage from these impacts at a battlefield and be perfectly fine. So that's a whole nother aspect to consider is, is this gentleman actually suffering from the damage or is he able to recoup? And some of that has to do with age and plasticity of the brain and neurons. But yes, their overall idea and the questions they brought up regarding brain damage and all of that was accurate. But data does show that there's correlation, not necessarily causation, between people who experience jobs with lots of trauma, like police officers, athletes, and instances of violence like domestic violence. Yeah. So when the defense attorney, Maya, was arguing that one of the symptoms are these personality changes and behavioral changes, that is true. It's like when they slice open all those former football player brains and they're all just rife with CTE. Yeah, those helmets 
opponents are not doing any good. It's why I stopped watching football in 2016 after my team, the Denver Broncos, won and Beyonce blessed us with that halftime show. I allowed myself that season and that indulgence and then I hard out after that, which apparently was a good idea, not just to divest from football as a dangerous sport for people's brains, but also because the Broncos have apparently been doing very poorly since then. And the Super Bowl performances have gone downhill since then. I don't think this means anything to our listeners. I was a very avid football fan up until I learned about this concussion stuff, and I have not watched a millisecond of football since then. So I am not familiar with the halftime shows, though I heard that they have been bad. Okay, back to the code. Yes. So me too. Who's your favorite character? My favorite character so far is Major Trey Ferry, Abe's friend. Mm -hmm. One, because the actor is from Ghana and, you know, Africans represent, although... (laughs) We are from completely different countries <laughs> on opposite sides of the continent. The country of Africa. <laughs> but, you know, our little community represent. Still a community, still a connection. But not just because he is African. I like his character. I like that he serves as a check on Abe. I hope they develop him more. When I read a couple of reviews of the show, it seems like his character is going to grow beyond being the black friend, which I'm really looking forward to. Because I think they started to build an interesting character within him. He's funny, he's sweet, but he's willing to lie, which we learned in the episode in a really big and devastating way, which I think adds a really interesting layer to him. So I'm curious to see more of that because I thought he was just a nice guy up until that point. And he's also uninformed about the internet, it seems. Yes, very uninformed. At one point, he talks about his sister being able to make change with a Tumblr account with 10,000 followers, which there's no way her school would bend to accommodate her for something just because she has an avid Tumblr account. Who is your favorite character? I'm actually a fan of A our lead character. Mm. And some of that stems from the fact that I'm a fan of the actor, Luke Mitchell. He was previously on the show, The Tomorrow People, which was on CW and got canceled. I really liked that. It was about kids with weird psychic superpowers. And he was also on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I really liked his character on there where he had superpowers. But I'm happy to see him in another lead role. And I think he's done good performances in previous roles. And I think he does a good job in this role. I don't know if he's showing accurate marine performance with his dress and behavior around other people in the military. But I think he plays an interesting character who will stand his ground, but also be a team player and is very willing to do what it takes like Trey. That's probably why they're friends. And I'm interested to see how he's going to react in future cases, because I think there's a lot of interesting potential with this trio who's willing to push boundaries in order to find justice. Speaking of military regalia, Mm -hmm. is his boss, Colonel Glenn Turnbull, played by Dana Delaney, are all those patches on her (laughs) correct? She looked like a Scientology officer. You know how they wear those fake Navy style uniforms? Yeah. That's what it looked like to me. I don't know. It was odd how many she had. And then we saw one of the judges who you would think would be highly decorated, but he had like half as many as she did. And he has a purple heart. So I don't I don't know if the costume designers looked into what each of these mean when they designed everyone's costume or if they just grabbed them and hot glued them on and was like, you know what, Colonel Turnbull, you're a important character, so you get twice as many. I looked up online to see if anyone had talked about them and I didn't see any pushback. So I assume if there wasn't any larger outrage, 
they are accurate or at least close enough to accurate that people don't care. Unlike that incorrect salute in the village. Yeah. Quick, name the hit relatable song by Candy Burris about partners who need to do better. Bills, bills, bills. Ding, ding, ding. You win an Audible ad. For our listeners, this episode is brought to you by Audible. What are you listening to this week? This week, in keeping with the political action drama themes, I'm listening to The President is Missing by James Patterson and up and coming writer Bill Clinton. As you can tell from the title, the US president vanishes without a trace. So we spend the book wondering why he would choose to leave if he chose to do so at all. Ooh, mysterious. You can find that book or pretty much any other at audibletrial.com slash the pilot pod. You'll get a free 30 day trial membership, be able to browse their fabulous selection of audio programs and pick a title to download free and start listening. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash the pilot pod. Happy listening. And now back to our show. So one thing we were discussing, and we're not going to go into details because we don't want to spoil the case for this pilot episode because it's pretty interesting. But you mentioned how it was similar to Monk or Psych or some other procedural shows where the truth of how the crime happened was a very elaborate setup. And we were also questioning how you got from A to B because that doesn't seem to be the most likely or even a possible path. The crime had such an improbable premise and such a complicated premise that it felt almost not worth it to pull off. Right. And they tried to explain it away a bit toward the end of the episode because I feel like even the writers felt like, all right, we probably did a little bit too much. And so they said that it was set in motion in hopes of a conclusion that they wanted. If it happens, great. If not, whatever, I'll try again tomorrow. So they tried to write it off that way because so many things had to align for that central crime to take place. And even the final piece of evidence that sealed the case, maybe I misunderstood, but I felt like we were still missing some key details. It was not remotely definitive. So it was uh, an unsatisfying conclusion to that case. Yes, but I still liked the episode at large and I felt elements of people bringing in new things. So like we said, one of the writers and executive producers is from The Good Wife. Another one who co-wrote and executive produced the pilot is Craig Sweeney from Star Trek Discovery and he's also written for Elementary. So I think he's bringing an interesting science fiction take to this. I like Elementary. I like Elementary too. Not quite science fiction, and bringing in aliens to set, but in thinking out of the box on your typical court procedural. But because of that, we got a pretty outlandish conclusion to this episode. But what I loved about it is that it was neatly wrapped up in a bow. Yeah, they closed it. They made the overall case become even bigger and twist in a way we weren't expected. Yes. So that makes up for the odd connections they had to put in place to make it all work. And you and I are usually pretty firmly anti-hour-long episodes. And this could have been a half hour show. I think any show could be a half hour show. But this wasn't a slow hour, which usually they are. I agree. I did not mind this hour of our time. No. Like you said, it could definitely be condensed, but I think they used their time well. Yes, I thought it was paced really well. I never did the thing where you scroll through the bar to see how much you have left. Yeah, that's always a good sign. So Me Too, are you ready to give our ratings for The Code? Yes. What do you rate 
CBS's The Code. I read it would watch again casually. Ditto. I think this is a solid legal drama. The military aspect is fresh. The main three cast members have good chemistry. I don't care enough to see what they're doing every week, but I'm going to come in every now and then to see what's going on and how they're handling it. I love a show that's aware of itself. It tied up the pilot episode in a nice, neat bow, and I presume that they're going to do that with every episode, short of some overarching themes that they'll keep, or maybe they'll have a serial killer or something that they'll need to track over a couple episodes. Save for some special exceptions, I assume each episode can be its own encased thing. And I love when shows are aware of themselves. It knows it's a procedural. So I could definitely see myself sitting down every so often while flipping channels and watching an episode because I definitely liked it. Like you said, do I care enough to track it? Absolutely not. I would recommend to our listeners if you want to watch a fun procedural where you might even be surprised by it, which is rare in a procedural of the who done it or the why did it happen, mm-hmm. then watch the code. I agree. This is one of those times where we have the same thoughts on the show. I love that. High key, they need to lend some of the writers from the code over to FBI if that show is still happening. We don't want to spread the code's writer staff too thin. They should just keep this up. They have something going good. Yeah, they've struck gold with whatever's happening in there. CBS, they know how to do procedurals. I just don't know the last time a procedural surprised me. I definitely find them satisfying, but I don't know the last time a procedural surprised me. So that speaks highly to it. If you want to find out more of our recommendations, head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com. And you can also subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Spotify. And please be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can like us on Facebook at The Pilot Podcast. You can send us thoughts, feelings, your favorite mystery shows and whodunits, ooh, and novels, you know, I'm a Nancy Drew girl, to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.